Hi, my name is Betty Gilpin, and my book is All the Women in My Brain. Actress Betty Gilpin has had many acting roles throughout her career, from Netflix Glow to Lisa Tadeo's upcoming Three Women, and she's recently taken on a new role, author. Her new essay collection titled All the Women in My Brain is an honest glimpse into her adolescence and behind-the-scenes experience auditioning and acting. I recently spoke with Betty Gilpin about all the women in her brain, her relationship with acting, and her newest role as a mother. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. So I'm wondering, this is a book of essays, but could you give our listeners, you know, like a a description of the book? How did you, how did you sell it? (laughs) Gosh, you know, I, how did, how the hell did I sell this thing? Uh, I had published a handful of essays, meaning, you know, sat on my computer basically and sent an email and they went online. You know, I I feel like the word publish brings parchment to mind and it felt way more low stakes than that. But yeah, I had always wanted to write this book. I would say it's kind of a uh, gumbo of memoir and comedic feminist commentary and a sort of love letter and roast of the entertainment business and acting and being an actor. You know, I think that what was stopping me from writing the book for a long time was just my own cringe and embarrassment at the thought of sitting down and writing a book about myself. You know, I I don't want it to be metabolized as a sort of actor memoir that I believe that the entire world knows who I am and wants to know, you know, the details of my iCal. It's better if you don't know who I am. I just sort of came to the realization that being an actor, particularly being an actress, was sort of the perfect allegory for being a woman in the world, whether you care about actors or not. You know, having to sort of cycle through selves to give whoever is in front of you the girl they want, feeling like you have to audition for the job you already have. You know, I think I I realized, oh, there are things in my weird and funny and sometimes heartbreaking experiences that I think, you know, a lawyer in Ohio with split ends who doesn't care about glow (laughs) would relate to. So our listeners are most likely familiar with your work as an actress, you know, on Netflix Glow, and then also Gaslit, and your upcoming series Three Women, which is based on Lisa Tadeo's book with the same name. And now you have a new role, author, So as you mentioned, you know, some of your essays have appeared in magazines and, you know, regarding the essays in All the Women in My Brain, was it a collection of essays that you had already written or did you write them specifically for this book? So I think two essays in the 20, 20 something essays that are in the book, two of them had been published already. But no, I, so I got together with Flatiron before I had written the book. And that made me really nervous because I, you know, I was afraid that starting with knowing that it was a product or I had to, you know, starting with the math of it, basically, I was afraid that that would sort of disable creativity in my brain. I knew I had to outline it first and pitch it first and say what I was going to do. And, you know, I was really nervous that that would mean I would not be able to write in the way that I wanted to. I had never written that way. You know, I spend a lot of my time as an actor 
on set sort of trying to psych myself out of the very real fact that the purpose of being creative here is for a product result to sell something. You know, I think any person doing a creative activity uh, struggles with that of like pretending there's no result and all there is is the moment in order to make a good result. (laughs) You wrote, quote, I see that all my experiences as a sometimes working actor have been a perfect allegory for being a woman in this world. And like you just mentioned, you know, you you choose the person who you think the person in front of you wants to see. So has acting prepared you for being an author in any way? Yeah, you know, I try to write about the feeling of um, that I felt growing up as a young girl where I and then adolescence and into adulthood, honestly, where I thought, oh gosh, I only know who I am when I'm reflected off of someone else's main character story. I only know how to be a supporting character in theirs, like the sidekick or the best friend or the girlfriend. And I thought, oh gosh, but when I'm alone in my room or my car as an island, I don't know who I am. And I think that I sort of commodified that feeling in becoming an actor um, and playing side character, literal side characters and other people's stories. And uh, I think that we're sort of realizing that that's just sort of how life feels, that you're sort of, I think particularly in girlhood, you have to sort of present this finalized epilogue self while sort of panicking in the wings of, I have no idea who I am and maybe it's this person, maybe it's this person. And I think I had filed writing under, that's for people who really know who they are or who, who are solidified good island people. And I realized, well, you know, the kind of work that I'm interested in, in any medium, writing, acting, painting, cooking, whatever, is from people who have kind of the perfect mix of enough insecurity and neuroses that they're really taking an honest look at themselves and editing in the way that they should, and enough, call it narcissism or belief in self to say their ideas out loud. You know, there's a lot of people with no self-awareness publishing stuff. And then I'm sure a lot of people with no confidence who have masterpieces trapped in their computers who will never send them. So I think it's about finding that middle ground, of just hating and loving yourself enough to make good work and then to put it in the world. And I hope that this book exists in that exact middle ground before I've drifted off into either side. And I try to talk about how throughout a day with the right amount of validation or or the wrong amount of validation and tearing down, I, I can go either way. So the household you grew up in, it honestly sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. Your dad dramatically enunciating serial types and your mom, you know, cheering you on along the way. It sounded like constant support and entertainment. And I especially love the description of your father's specific holy reference for walk-off home runs and good sentence structure. So (laughs) can you tell our listeners a bit about your parents and how how they helped shape your career? Yes. Yeah. You know... I, both of my parents were and are actors and did most, um, I grew up in New York and then Connecticut and they did uh, what New York actors mainly did in the 80s and 90s, which was off Broadway and regional theater, sometimes Broadway and Law and Order. And then a handful of bit parts and things. Um, You know, my mom had 
a couple lines in Moonstruck. My dad was in Revenge of the Nerds Part Two, Nerds in Paradise, and you know, some Chevy Chase movies. <laughs> and and their careers are incredible. But I really grew up in their dressing rooms backstage and kind of fell in love with acting through the culture around the in-between moments, the backstage moments. And uh, they just, even though they were certainly grownups, they were really like kids and just the most joyful, circusy, curiosity-filled people. I mean, my dad is very, he's like Atticus Finch personified gravitas as a human being and my mom is like a winking elf lucille ball all the time and i'm sort of half of each of them (laughs) and yeah it was a great household to grow up in so in this book of essays you were very open about discussing depression and and sadness you write about body image you you ask why does it take us so long to ask the question wait is this hurting me You're not afraid to dive into some of the hardest and roughest aspects of acting. So I'm I'm curious, how do you stay motivated to push forward through all of these things? You know, yeah, that's from the essay where I talk about, you know, I I write a lot in weird, tangled metaphor. I know, I know, but I'm not going to (laughs) stop. But that's in the essay called Salem versus Barbie, I believe. And it's basically I'm trying to talk about authentic self versus presented self. And, you know, how when you're a kid, you are pure id and, you know, you're not really thinking about how you are perceived yet. And then particularly as a growing girl, how you seem and what you look like becomes very, very important. And all of a sudden, and uh, I think that I sort of have this blessing and curse of doing my passion for a living where I get to channel that id into parts and a darkness in me that I feel, which is depression, into a role. But I have to check a lot of the presented self boxes or the Barbie boxes or what have you. And, you know, that quote that you read, I think that it's such a distracting it's like the Turkish delight of <laughs> distracting us from getting over that into the end zone of crushing misogyny and the patriarchy of just the validation of, you know, answering the question, do you love me? Do you think I look nice? Do you like the way I seem? And, you know, I think that depression makes you feel so obviously invisible and dark. And I think it's tantalizing to escape that invisibility with just some good old fashioned, the internet thinks I'm pretty or the person across from me thinks I'm funny. And it's very tempting. I have to check myself constantly. It's why one of the myriad of reasons why I'm not on social media, because I think I wouldn't be able to resist after, you know, not working for so long, feeling invisible and depressed for so long, you know, uh, the comment section saying that the airbrushed picture of me that doesn't look like me looks nice even though reading those comments would make me dumber, it would make me happier for a second, but then sadder than I was before. (laughs) You also mentioned that theater saved your life, literally. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, growing up, the plays that I would see my parents do were classics. You know, I would see them do Noel Coward and, you know, Restoration Comedies and A.R. Gurney plays. Really, you know, while they were incredible, it wasn't like, wrenching guts on the stage stuff and no offense to my parents they threw their whole heart and soul into it but you know 
as I got into high school, I realized, wow, these feelings I'm feeling, this darkness in me is really all consuming and a huge problem. <laughs> and I found that that could be channeled into creativity, that it didn't have to just mean you lie face down on your bedroom floor, that if you find the right outlet, that can be a window instead of, you know, an anvil tying you to the bottom of the ocean. And I started to, you know, try to put that into the school plays that I was doing. You know, I played Hamlet in high school and, you know, and Kiss Me Kate. I'm sure I was sobbing in places where the, the script did not require sobbing. Um, <laughs> and I think that uh, I have learned a healthier way to have that be an outlet, but also not to have it, um, not to have my business model be relying on something that is unhealthy. I think that's, that's been a, a journey, hashtag journey. So the book is titled All the Women in My Brain, and you introduced them to us by name in chapter 13. <laughs> so how, how many women are in your brain? And have any new women taken up residence? Sure, yes, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, that essay I wrote about this weird physical thing that happened to me where basically I was so stressed out a million things were happening in my personal life and I broke into full body muscle spasms and it was as if the only way I could explain it to myself was that all the women who were in my brain were uh, freaking out and living the wrong life and you know I had sort of made a career out of being the beta being the sidekick being a character in other people's stories. And all of a sudden, my iCal looked a lot like an alpha who was the lead in her own story. And it felt sort of antithetical to who I was. And my literal body um, revolted against me. I was having muscle spasms that looked like I was on so much cocaine dancing on top of a dryer for six days. So a metaphor was the only way to explain it. But yeah, since writing... I guess it's in the book. I've I've had a baby and I would say motherhood definitely adds a new team of women to the brain. The two that I think of that come to mind now are, you know, every woman has this person, but you just sort of look it in the face when you give birth, but it's in, it's in everyone. Not everyone has to have kids. Fewer people should have kids. Anyway, is a Marvel character, X-Men can throw a Mack truck across a football field superhero absolute that exists also another person that exists is a shivering woman in a soaking wet white nightgown who says the only way to keep the baby safe is to take all the pint glasses out of the cabinet and turn them upside down and put them on the bathroom floor and you have to listen to both of them the superhero and the woman who makes absolutely no sense <laughs> both have to weigh in or um if they're not heard yeah they'll uh they'll burn the house down. <laughs> so as I read your essays, I also listened to you reading them to me. You, you know, appropriately, you narrated the audiobook. So can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? Was this your first audiobook that you've narrated? And and how was it to hear your thoughts voiced aloud? It was my first audiobook, because I cannot for the life of me book voiceover work, because I know that I have a low voice and always seem tired. And I remember finding a cassette tape. <laughs> My dad's gonna be so mad. My brother and I found a cassette tape of an old voiceover acting class or something that my dad took in the 80s, maybe. And it 
shed so much light for me on why I never booked voiceover work, which is he was <laughs> my dad. It was just recording my dad being like white rain shampoo for hair. <laughs> so soft. You won't believe it. <laughs> I was like, this is what I sound like when I'm trying to get a Starburst commercial. So I think my audiobook is the only way that my recorded voice and this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was so much fun. I am, um, you know, writing and publishing a book takes so long. I finished it over a year ago. And because I have a toddler and am working crazy hours on this job, I have no brains. So I was like, oh, I'll just listen to my audiobook as a sort of refresher. And then I pictured, you know, being found upside down in my SUV with my own audiobook streaming out of the windows. And that's the headline. It's like, I, that can't happen. So I haven't listened to it. <laughs> oh, I thought you did a great job. Thank so you. after reading your essays, it's, it's evident that you are well read. So who are some of your favorite authors? And did you turn to any for inspiration? Well, even though she writes in a completely different genre. Lisa Tadeo, you know, reading three women before I was cast in the television show, it really did sincerely alter me and change me. You know, I think that as I was starting to think about these themes of, wow, the things that I thought were my curse alone are actually complete unifiers in women. And uh, the more that we say these things out loud that we think are our scarlet letters, the more other women say, oh, I feel the exact same way. And I think that she writes, Lisa writes so clearly about how we've really, uh, you know, I try to write about how it's going to take the other side a long time to get to the conclusion that we should be equal, <laughs> that we should dismantle the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be quicker if we try to disable those voices in our own head, which we have to be honest about exist, the, the shame calls are still coming from inside the brain house. And I think Lisa writes so brilliantly about that, particularly the character of Lena, who I ended up playing in the TV show. So yeah, and I just read her book, Ghost Lover. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I visited with her recently about Ghost Lover. So yeah, she's- Oh, wow, great. Lovely. We were texting today. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of feeling seen, there were more than a few places in your essays where I felt seen. And one one was when you wrote, I hate myself for completing a chore here that feels insurmountable in my own home. And I think this had to do with changing a toilet paper roll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then another one had to do with the sneeze. I mean, I, I read that. I read it out loud to my husband who laughed. And then he said, well, Beth, I can't help it. <laughs> I think that I think that after I wrote it, there was a oh, I think in the Times a woman wrote an essay about the volume of her husband's sneeze. I was like, I have to write to her and say I've already written, but I think it is universal. It's my it's gonna be my cause. That why do men sneeze so loudly? It's yeah, he has sneezed when I've been behind the wheel and I can't believe that I haven't crossed the center line and driven into a lake. Yeah, and yes, the changing the toilet paper roll. Yeah, that was at the end of a long day of sad auditions. And I mindlessly changed the toilet paper roll in a studio exec's bathroom and then unchanged it <laughs> as a protest when I realized what I was doing. You did bring up that you had a daughter recently. 
And yeah. for many years, one of your biggest fears was being, you know, a mother of a girl. So can you talk to me about some of your fears about raising a girl and, and how it's been so far? Because you, you did have a, a baby girl in the midst of yeah. the COVID pandemic. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that I, in thinking about presented self and authentic self and starting out as a kid being pure circus demon and then only later do you realize oh I need to start filtering my identity uh, and shame enters the picture I realized that something about myself that is crazy is that I would project these feelings onto girl babies that I would be like well she certainly loves the camera or look at her just walking into a room shoulders back and it would be a three-year-old um, it doesn't make any sense. And then to boy babies, I would be like, what a miracle. He can do no wrong. And that is insane. That's insane. And has everything to do with me and nothing to do with these literal children. And I was just afraid that I would project that onto a daughter or that she would see right through me that I felt like I was only cycled a Rolodex of characters for other people and alone I didn't exist. I, I you know, Women have the, I mean, men do too, but what, you know, it, little girls, I feel like would just look at me in this way of, I can see exactly who you are. And because I don't always know who I am, it's like, well, I don't want that feeling. How about a boy that I wrestle with and we have a food fight and then we go to bed. But I have been ugh, just rattled by this connection with my daughter, it's crazy. And I, I think I thought that I would secretly hate it. I think I thought I'd be like, yes, she's a miracle. I'm going to run to the bathroom. And then I'd make eye contact with myself in the bathroom and be like, you've made a terrible mistake. And while it's exhausting and insane, I can't believe this is what it is. I am just so honored to have this crazy bald Greek connection with this tiny tyrant <laughs> pure id in my home. And I think my job is to always check whether or not it's my own stuff <laughs> and not project any of that onto her. Yeah. Do you have a hope for readers of your book? Do you have a hope of what they might take away from it? Um, I hope they find sameness in it, regardless of what your gender or profession is. I think that I tried to write really honestly and and you know i i tried to make fun of myself at every turn i don't want this to be you know the branding of vulnerability <laughs> i i really do um i want to make you laugh and i i hope that you see yourself in it while you're laughing the book is all the women in my brain betty gilpin thank you so much for joining us thank you so much i really appreciate it that was betty gilpin author of the book all the Women in My Brain, which was published by Flatiron Books. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia. And for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.